Welcome to My African Aesthetic, a podcast that interrogates the African aesthetic in African architecture and design. On this podcast, you'll hear about the work, philosophy, and design process of African architects and designers practicing in Africa and the diaspora. My name is Eunice Nanzala Schumacher. I'm a Ugandan architect and designer living and working in Norway. And my name is Penina Achayo Laker. I am a Ugandan graphic designer researcher, and educator living and practicing in the USA. Our podcast features conversations with designers working to provide architecture and design solutions for Africa. We would like this to become a platform where our guests share their knowledge and experiences on designing in the diverse, hybrid, and dynamic socioeconomic, cultural, and political African context. We are looking forward to embarking on this journey with you. Our guest today is Judyal Aguada, a visual communication designer, educator, and branding expert from Ghana. Jude currently resides in St. Louis, Missouri, where he teaches communication design at the Sun Fox School of Design and Visual Arts at Washington University in St. Louis, a position he holds as the 2019-2021 Voice D. Beaumont Artist in Residence. Through his design practice called Made in Edgeway, Jude has worked with clients like Ghana International School, University of Ghana Business School, and GIZ Ghana. Jude uses storytelling, dialogue to explore ways to encourage difficult conversations across cultures. This practice revolves around exploring how people define community, identity, and culture via multidisciplinary approaches ranging from artist books to public installations. He is dedicated to unearthing improved ways of creating connection by focusing on how people relate to each other and the spaces they inhabit. Jude holds a bachelor degree in communication design from Kwame Nkrumah University of Science and Technology in Kumasi, Ghana, and a master of fine arts degree in visual communication design from the School of the Art Institute in Chicago, Illinois. He has seven years of diverse and rich professional experience as an educator, administrator, and designer, both in Ghana and the USA. All right, so Jude Akwaba. Oh, <laughs> sure, you didn't see that coming, Jude. No, I did not. I did not. That's great. That's great. Akwaba. <laughs> so, well, welcome to the My African Aesthetic Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. I want to say uh, a big thank you to and uh, Eunice for having me on here because um, I think it's a really necessary uh, platform for us to have conversations that people that I've been coming up or even us ourselves can also reflect on as time goes on because it's over, like I have not lived a long life. I'm still a young, a young person, but it's also always interesting to have time to really reflect on certain things. Like for example, like um, in Ghana, there's, there's, there's this uh, Adinkra symbol called Sankofa, which basically translates the idea of like going back to reflect. Mm-hmm. So it's really, really necessary that from time to time, even if it's a, a weekly basis thing to have the time to really reflect on certain things that you've done. So this, this this podcast basically gives me the chance to really reflect on how far I have come uh, in life. Wow. So, thank you. Very well said, Jude. And so in the spirit of reflecting and looking back, 
um, I think it would be helpful for our listeners if you just start by telling us a little bit about where you grew up and what did, what your childhood was like. Uh, yeah, great. Um, so uh, my name is Jude Yao Aguada, and um, I was born in Ghana. I was born in Accra, and um, I think my birth is actually pretty like funny that my mom and I actually make jokes about it because I was actually supposed to be born on the 4th of July, which was which is uh, <laughs> uh, the Independence Day for the U.S., but some way, somehow, it seems I was enjoying like being in the, in the womb so much that I didn't want to come out. So my mom basically was pushing the entire time on on the fourth, but then I eventually ended up coming out on the fifth. So I was born Thursday. So Thursday is where my name Yao comes from, which oh. in Ghanaian culture, we sort of like name kids by days. So yeah. Yao is a male name for a boy born on Thursday. The female, if I was a, if I was a lady, I'll be called Ya. So like each day has its like names also. So my name wow. is Jude Yao Aguada and Aguada is my dad's, my dad's surname, which uh, also means, um, the bull of the bull of a horn, and it also translates to wow. on a sheep, which uh, over the years, <laughs> over the years I've, I've actually come to really like take like uphold it because I don't see that being like a stubborn sheep. I actually think about it in the sense of like not conforming to certain stereotypes or being called. Mm. That's how I really think about it for the for the most times, and I think I'll talk a bit more about that also as far as like naming how naming has an effect on on us as Ghanaians or as Africans and how we also like tend to see that. Um, uh, I come from a family of five. So growing up, uh, it was my, I have an older sister. It was me as a middle child and it was my brother. And growing up was really interesting because um, as far as I can remember, we moved around a lot. When I was born, uh, we moved around, I think we moved around maybe four different times until like we, st- we stayed in a particular like area for about maybe 20 years. So most of my, 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 my childhood was stayed in one place, but for the first four, four to five years, we moved around a lot. And that was really interesting also because when we finally got to a place where I actually grew up, we got there and there were no kids my age there. Like everyone there was mm. like five years older than me, six years older than I was. And at the time, my brother, my younger brother was not born yet. So it was it was this idea of like, I didn't even have friends to play with because my sister is also older than, me, older than me three years. So she also does not see me as her mate. And uh. I, it's, it's an interesting like dynamic there where there's this idea of like having to grow up fast, which again, I think is really interesting also because um, uh, this is also like a story just by the way, but when I was three years old, I had a party like, and we had, we had a celebration where I was asked, you know that song that goes, how happy birthday, blah, blah, blah. And then I was asked how old I was and I was three years old, but I ended up saying I was 30, which obviously <laughs> I was not. So I think that idea was uh, the sense of like wanting to grow up quickly, but then it's like, you know, the idea of like, you want to grow up because you want freedom. And I was like, well, I'm just three years old. What kind of freedom do I actually want? Because like, I'm, I'm not working. I don't pay any bills. But then now when I reflect, now that I'm actually 30, when I reflect and look back, it's like, well, what was I in a hurry to actually get to? And it's, it's, an, it's an interesting thing I've been thinking about also about the idea of like, um, sort of like expectations or pressure that sometimes we put, we put on ourselves in you know, the sense of like having to grow up quickly and be able to like mm. work and start like doing things that you want to do. Because um, mm. growing up, it's been, I think it's probably applies to the like families also out there where as a child, you are sort of like conflicted with the idea of, I want to be able to do my own thing. I want to have my own voice. I want to develop my own voice. I don't want to live in the shadows of my parents or my older mm. siblings. Because that was something that me as a young, as, as, a, as a boy growing up, I was struggling with a lot because everyone knew me as, so my sister's name is uh, Perpetual. We all call her Pep. 
my sister, uh, so everybody used to refer to me as, oh, that's Pep's brother. It was never Jude. They never like referred oh. to me being my person. So I think that was that really interesting thing about like even growing up where it's like, no, 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 no. I want to grow up. I want to be my own. I want you to refer to me as Jude. Like I'm not Pep's younger brother. So I think as far as like uh, growing up, it was, it was a really, like, I feel like I had a really nice childhood. And also, I also lived through the usual, like, usual um, aspects of being like a middle child where it's like, it's just you, where you have to like, deal, like, figure things out on your own because it's like, whichever direction they take it from, if they take it from the oldest, it's your sister, they take it from the youngest, it's my brother. It never gets to me. I'm always second in line. So it was, it was a lot of like independence growing up, trying to like make things work on my own. Mm. Growing up with, a, with an older, older group of kids, I always had to like try to like catch up with them. So mm-hmm. where I started like maybe going to school or making friends who were my age, it was like I was already ahead of all th- talking about things that they didn't have no idea about or like they didn't even know what we're talking about. So I think something that I've reflected on for a very long time is the idea of being able to like take a break and really say, well, this is supposed to happen this particular time. Just take it a day at a time and not be in a hurry. Because again, like this, my, my mom usually reminds me of this story over and over every year when I celebrate my birthday, what she says uh, you are the guy who was rushing to be 30 and now you're actually 30. And I think it's really funny, but I think it's, a, it's, it's <laughs> an interesting uh, conversation that happens there about the idea of like how your childhood also like helps you in that sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I think that's pretty much about. My you know, Jude, it's very interesting. You, I really relate to uh, what you shared about being referred to as your older sister's brother, mm-hmm. Pep's brother. Mm-hmm. When I was growing up, for a, for the longest time all through primary school I just felt like I was living in my brother's shadow like for it, it seemed like no one even knew me or knew my name but I was always referred to as like either Donald's sister or like Osborne's sister and and I wanted so much to find my own identity and and I think as in some ways maybe that's a, a little bit of what inspired me to even move or like to venture out mm-hmm. farther so I could find my own identity so I think it's really interesting to see how that has shaped your upbringing. Mm-hmm. Um, so and I'm wondering if this might be a good point for us to start to lay a little bit of a foundation for your desire, passion for design. Are there any experiences in your upbringing that you could point to that you can, that you can reflect back on as you know, little indications of, of your interest in this area. Mm. Right. Um, so let's see. So as far as like being a kid, I remember like maybe from like when I was five years old and, you know, people always ask you, oh, so when you grow up, what do you want to be? Like they say, they know it's like this very like baby tone. It's like, oh, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I always used to say I wanted to be a priest because I was raised Catholic. Mm. I was raised Catholic, but my mom was Presbyterian. So in that sense, we had like also like two different point of views in our, our household where it's like my dad is very Catholic, singing a lot of hymns, and my mom is Presbyterian where they get to, they get to have a longer church service and we had to have shorter church service. I think it was really interesting. But growing up for the longest time, I I wanted to be a priest for some for some weird reason. I don't know why, but I wanted to be a priest because the idea of living like a very systematic or calculated lifestyle mm. at a very young age where Anytime I would go to for mass, I used to see priests like having like the the way they dressed, the way they conducted service, they were mm-hmm. very like 
calculated. I was like, oh, that's the kind of lifestyle. Well, I don't want like. <laughs> <laughs> At that young age, it did not seem like you thinking about like uh, maybe like a constriction or like following a particular like way of living. But I think it was more about the lifestyle of being able to just like live like quote unquote like a clean or like a very calculated lifestyle, which really. Mm. So as I got older, I think I was in um, junior secondary school, and I realized that well, I don't think I want to be a priest anymore because I at the time I did not know all the things that came with being a priest because I only thought it was just like you only show up for service like I'm like I'm not. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think, but I don't think that's just the kind of responsibility I want to live live up to. So at the time, I remember people used to ask my sister because again I was living in my sister's shadows, so I used to always hear when people are talking to her, but. They used to ask, oh, what does she want to be? And she was thinking about taking a career like in the in the footsteps of my dad. So my dad, um, professionally, is a chartered accountant. He's very very good with math. Like he's 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 a genius when it comes to, like thinking about like math problems and stuff like and numbers. So my sister also ended up wanting to go into that direction, and she did end up doing that because currently she's a, she's a banker. She works for one of the banks in Accra in Ghana. But I was like, well. I want to be a priest, but now it's like, well, how do I like move from being a priest to something else? Because I honestly had no answer at, at that time where it's like what I wanted to be. So it was up until the time where I had to like move into senior secondary school, which is like a senior high school. There was a point where I felt like I had to decide on what I wanted to do. And at that time, I was doing very well in like math and science. So most of the people, most of your teachers would basically just say, oh, just go do science, you know, just do science. So you can end up being like a doctor or an engineer, stuff like that. Hmm. But I was like, I don't know if that appeals to me in any way. And we had this uh, this class we used to take like back then in like junior high school, which was uh, like vocational skills, almost like art, art making. And I, I loved it. It was great because I felt it was it was those classes that I really felt like I was really having fun. I was being I wasn't on any kind of pressure. I wasn't being looked in a particular type of way. I was like, well, I think I might want to go do that. So lucky for me, my my parents, so growing up, my parents were very uh, liberal. I'll say like they did not have that, although like they are like close friends, their siblings and stuff like that, where I was like, make sure your, 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 your kids are doing like either science, you know, so they can become doctors, engineers, stuff like that. It was never about like, oh, they can do like art or design or architecture because it's like, mm, that seems like more craft. That seems like something you need to go to school for. So I think when the time came, I ended up picking uh, the, the senior high school I wanted to go to. And I decided to choose uh, visual arts to go do visual arts in, 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 in senior high school. And my grades came, I think I wrote the the exams, the BEC, I think what you call, I think in West Africa. So it's the BEC and I passed, I had like really good grades and I could easily go do science or go do like any other like uh, general arts course and make, make like do business or anything like that. But I was like, no, I just want to go do like visual arts in school. And I was honestly surprised because like I know most of my friends who plan to do visual arts did not, they, they had didn't, they didn't have it go well because their parents like shut that idea down immediately, which again is something that, I feel like it's it's over the years I've I've been able to like find a connection between thinking about how like colonialism and even the idea of like um, not having people think outside the box has so many like relations to like colonialism and like I read this there's this I I, might, I may digress a bit but I read this uh, speech from um, what's his name um, William Lynch who was the man that wrote the the the, the, uh, the speech about how to break or how to make a slave which I some way somehow was able to connect that to how I was living back at home in Ghana. And I thought that was really crazy. But then again, so I ended up going to um, to senior high school and I did visual arts there. When I was doing that program, I was really having a great time. It was great. But then I was excelling so much at the maths and the sciences 
I wouldn't say not more than the visual arts, like the my electives I was working on, but I was like excelling a lot, like way more than people that were doing, were majoring in uh, like arts and science. And then I had like one teacher one day, like um, I think I was about maybe 15, walk up to me, was like, dude, I think uh, you probably need, need to like switch your program and move to like a science course or like engineering or something like that in that in that area. And I was like, why does he say this? And he says, he feels I'm wasting, he basically said he feels I'm wasting my time, like messing. So the words he used were messing, messing around with arts, whilst I could be doing like stuff like science and general arts. And I was like, well, I don't think that's what I'm interested in doing. I know like it's it's it seems like it's the right path to take, but I was like, that's not what I am interested in doing. And as far as like my parents are not giving me the pressure, trying to direct me to move to a different path, this is what I want to do. And at some point in time during that time also, I'd had a certain conversation with some classmates back at that stage where we had spoken about, I mean, we had a conversation, I used to tell them that, it's sad that people have this perception about like people in the arts, like at very at a very young age. But I, some way, somehow, want to be the. So there's this thing that I've been living. This this uh, so like a mantra I live my life by also about the fact that I want to make sure my life is a living testimony for someone else to look at and say, well, I can also do this thing. So the conversation I had with them at that age was that, well, I think we should be able to prove to them that all everyone doing arts is not like not good at math or not good at science or not good like at biology and stuff like that. So I took it. I took it upon them, and my three years in uh, senior high school, I was taking awards in the science and the maths areas, which a lot of people were surprised by because they're like, "How can someone in arts be doing that and still taking prize in that sense?" But for me, it was more about I want to prove to other people, and even the fact that I have a younger brother. I think that was something that I think it took like a couple of t- <laughs> a couple of years for me to really like understand the idea of like a uh, role model, because I had a younger brother, and the fact that him and I also have the same. He also, he's also called Yao because he was also born on Thursday. So my brother and I are very, very close. <laughs> so the idea of like knowing that someone is looking at your life to sort of like try and encourage themselves to also live their own life, I think was really important for me in my childhood and growing up. Mm-hmm. So I decided to make a decision that, well, this one I want to do design. And then I moved from that time and I went to university and I pursued design. I think I've been doing design since where it's been... For me, it's been more about every single day. I'm trying to prove to those people that said that wow. uh, arts is not for people that are intelligent. And again, it's like, what is the definition of intelligence? How are you defining intelligence also in that sense? And like, how can you basically construct the idea of like intelligence being uh, uh, being equated to doing science or math or stuff like that? So mm-hmm. it's 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 been it's been it's interesting that like today I'm able to like easily articulate this. Like, it's, 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 like mm-hmm. back then it was not that. I think it was just me just taking it a day at a time, like literally just that, taking a day at a time and seeing how things would go. Because again, as much as like I might say now, it may sound as if like it was an easy ride, but it really was not because there were times where like there was an actual time in, in, in when I was in secondary school where I think it was only a few of my classmates at the time that saw me, but I actually cried in secondary school at one point in time. And it wasn't because like I was being bullied or anything. I think it was more about not knowing what to do because it did oh, at that point mm. feel like you probably made a mistake. You shouldn't have gone doing it. You mm. should have done something. And it was, it hit me so much that like, I had to like really like reflect that. I feel like I was so young to be doing that, but I had to reflect and say, well, do I really want to do this? Do I really want to go talk to this teacher who I said that I should switch my program and I tell her why oh. I want my program now? Because then again, it's like unconsciously, everything he has said, every day I would see him in class he would remind me because he was was my math teacher and I was one of like his best students also in that year. And every time he would see me in class and like we'll talk and everything would go like, oh dude, I'm still thinking about like, you should still think about changing. 
and that affected me for you start to develop this mindset of like are you in yeah. the right place you doing this mm-hmm. you're not supposed to be here you know and it's yeah but it was it was it was it was a process it was it was a process and i have i have over the years learned to really respect the process that yeah. i am having people also but yeah it's been it's been it's been quite 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 a right you were good at uh, at uh, sciences and you know mathematics as you said uh has it has it been beneficial now now that you are practicing design it must be also a good thing to have found that all that was not just put aside but like is there a way that you, you you use it in your work that in a way you feel comfortable that oh i'm happy i just went with with what i went with right 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 yeah de- definitely i i definitely do see that again like like i said it's stuff like this is just over the years that you start to like reflect and be like oh well it makes sense now that like the math that I learned or the numbers I was good mm. at is actually mm. now because then again, in math, you're doing a lot of like critical thinking, math and science, you're doing like critical thinking. So it's like yeah. that really applies when it comes like you uh, having to do the idea of like design thinking because mm. basically it's about an- analytics. How do you analyze something? How do you like break things down to like different, like in math, like formulas that you use, right? Yeah. So I think it's that same way where it's basically like, something that basically like, helping like figure out how, I want to like work on certain things to the point where I think I was for a very long time, uh, even when I was like in undergrad and also like when I was in my master's, I, I often, often got mistaken uh, for being, for being like an architect because mm. people used to say that I used to like live a very like uh, calculated life, which again goes back to me. <laughs> I didn't want to be a priest. But I was like, well, that's, that's basically how I want to live my life off. Like, like being like very well put together, well dressed, always like, being on point, yes. everything yeah. this way, you know. So it's it's mm-hmm. it, it definitely I definitely see that uh, correlation now, where it's like, well, the idea of like math. What did math like really like talk about? What were some of the principles that were addressed in math? What were some mm-hmm. of the principles that I came across in the sciences? You know, because it turns out that again, bringing my brother into this conversation, like my brother ended up doing uh, computer engineering, which then again, it was very easy for me to have conversations with him on the topic because then again, I'm like. Well, if I actually had no interest in that field, it would have been very difficult to be able to communicate with him and talk to him about some of these things that he had to go with. So it's mm. like I was able to like provide him a perspective that he wasn't used to because one, we stopped mm. engineering things, talk about like maths, the algorithms and stuff like that. But then also I also like used to present him with a point of view from a design perspective, which he mostly never thought about. Because anytime he was like um he was working on a project that in this form of like testing like user testing like day-to-day user testing i was the one who basically just come to and talk about them like well as far as your systems everything's working but you are it seems like you're not really thinking about your audience right mm, and audience, mm. like, on an audience target audience if you're working for your mm-hmm. client work all that is really spoken about a lot in like architecture and design so then again it's like well you need to sort of bring that so basically for me it was more about being having enough like vocabulary to also be able to like, because a lot of like what of my what my projects are about also has to do a lot of like conversation and communication. So it's it's it was really helpful. I would definitely say that it's been really really helpful. Yeah. How was design school in in Ghana? Okay. So um, again, I think when I when I probably started talking, you could tell like so my first my first day in, in, in university uni in in Ghana, which I did it in Kumasi, um, at the Kwame University of Science and Technology. I think. My first day there, I feel like I panicked because I could clearly tell that art and architecture was not being funded as much as the other areas. Like I could really tell that because 
we had the chance of um, doing like a tour where you go to like different schools, engineering, medicine, nursing, all that. And you're like, oh, but when you come back to your department, like art and design and architecture, it's like, there clearly is a huge difference there. So mm-hmm. I think for me, it was, it was, it was in that moment, I, I sort of like panicked because mm-hmm. I reflected again on that same thing that like I had been told like in, in the years prior to that, where it's like, well, are you actually in the right field? But I was like, oh, like, it seems like we are not as funny as we should be. So how would that end up looking like? And for the most part, I would say design education in uni, for me, like my experience for those four years, it was more about you being very proactive. You had to like mm-hmm. be very, very proactive in the sense that if you don't go out looking for that information or that way of doing things, you would definitely not get it because your, your educator, your professor is not... It's not doing that for you because then again, it's so there's this thing that uh, I mean, over the years, I had a chance to also speak to some professors about is it's basically a cycle because when, when they also were in school, they basically got that same learning experience. So they just yeah. basically just, mm-hmm. yeah. just have it turned around and just give it to a new set of people. And for them, yeah. for them, it's all about this uh, whole idea of like apprenticeship where it's like you have an apprentice and a master where it's like whatever they say, it's final. Yes. You cannot challenge mm-hmm. them. Like mm. ask them ask questions about that and i feel like for some time like we have some students like i had some classmates that were always like getting in trouble for that also where it's like well your professor might say well i need to do a b c and then we'll have a student say well what about if we consider d what does mm. d bring into the picture the professor will be like no do not consider like and actually you end up getting penalized for that because yeah. then like, for them it's something they wouldn't they've never actually thought about mm. so what scares them to actually approach that because like Mm, I've never experienced this thing. I don't. I don't want to be approached. I don't want to talk about. It. So they actually shut it down. So I actually tried to open up and say, "Well, test it out and bring it to class and let's see how it looks like." They never did that. It was more about no. It's just A, B, C. And in 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 school, I think for me it was it was more about. I mean, me and a, a few of my friends also. It was more about we trying to find ways in which we can still get that learning experience from school, mm-hmm. but then also think outside the box you know it's 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 i feel like it's very ironical where you have like professors saying oh think outside the box but it's like when you present ideas in class it's like uh-uh, no we don't we don't we don't want to, that idea does what not, does that mean that yeah. not fit that uh criteria but then like well, this is very different from what everyone is doing it's like no make sure you're doing just like that so i think it's 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 looking back at it is it was more about they teaching what they have been taught mm. and not being open to the idea of like thinking about new things and uh, getting to the point where it's like, well, every generation is different. The needs of people are changing across time. So it means that every new set of students that come to you or that approach you, mm. their, um, their learning objectives or goals will definitely end up being different because, mm. again, times are changing. So it's like you need to try and adapt. And I think adaptability is one thing like I feel like if I ever had a chance to like, really like, go back and talk to my professors about it, I think that's what I actually t- tell them to really like look into because it's it's – it's, I totally understand the, the point that it's like, well, that's how I was taught and that's how I want to teach. But mm-hmm. then it's like, those that taught them, my professors, like they've died like years, years ago. And it's like back then things are so different from how things are now. Mm-hmm. And I feel like even in being at the time where there was a lot, of, I think it was that point where there were like digital, like designers also coming up, architecture doing things digitally where um, your professors will be saying, no, we don't want to use to do any form of like computer, but they never gave you one thing that also stood out to me also was that anytime, like even like whether it was like professors, educators, parents, older people, anytime they say no, they never tell you why. 
Because I think growing up, I was the kid where I was always like, <laughs> you tell me, I was like, but why? Like, wh- why no? I feel in that case, you never get the chance to really understand their reasoning. And I think that was something that really also didn't help them also, like a lot where it's like, if you're telling me I can't take a particular path, can you tell me why I cannot take that path? Mm, Maybe your right. reason is different. Maybe you have a different way of actually getting mm-hmm. to that point, you know? So it, mm-hmm. it's, it was, it was, it, it, it was a lot of things also. <laughs> authority in in as in how our culture how african culture generally views people who are older than you or or how mm-hmm. we how we behave in authority in africa mm-hmm. and how that actually stifles or just kind of discourages uh, innovation or creativity or inquisitiveness you know just we are so afraid. Sometimes we, when we are in power as lead architects or lead designers in an office or as lecturers, like you said, it's probably because that is how they've been taught to do things. And so it, bec- it comes naturally to transfer that knowledge that way. But I also suspect it has something to do with the cultural, uh, the cultural mm-hmm. practices and our culture and how first usually your professor will be older than you. And in a way, they kind of think that I am older than you, therefore, listen to me. And, right. it, and that, that I think that is a big thing. And then, and then I also know that it's also that cultural thing. You don't just ask your <laughs> elders or you don't, you don't ask those questions. I know that the gen- generations probably right now can have the conversations with their parents about things. And then, and then it's more of a dialogue. But I, I, I just wanted to, to, just reflecting on that, could it be a cultural thing that we also have to think? Because it's it might be stopping a lot of advancement in 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 design, in architecture, but generally in all the other disciplines. If if students, especially students, can't can't have a dialogue and question things mm-hmm. without without teachers or or professors, but also people in authority thinking that it's always a threat to power. It's always like defiance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know, Penina, what do you think about yeah, that? Yeah, no, no, you, that's exactly right before you started reflecting, Eunice, I was, I actually wrote, wrote something down about how, how I long that we can get to a, a place and a time where questioning is not seen as a, di- is not looked at as a sign of disrespect. Mm. Because I think as Jude was reflecting on his, um, his frustrations with, uh, education even at the university level that they just never seem to be room mm. to question to ask to be curious and and i know you know you know we've had this conversation that in uganda that that is straight out like seen as you know you're, you you don't respect your mm. your teachers or like are you questioning that uh, what i'm telling you is wrong why can't you just mm. take it and mm. you know memorize that and remember that and and how i long for a time where we can start to shift that conversation and, 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 and perhaps use this as an opportunity to, to teach young people how to ask questions. Maybe, you know, if the teachers feel like, you know, the way students are asking questions is mm. perhaps, you know, coming off as, I don't know. Arrogant not, or uh, yeah. yeah, maybe we can, yeah, maybe we can have a conversation about like, you know, how, you know, how can we ask meaningful questions? Because mm. there, there's a very clear difference between, you know, asking questions for the sake of asking questions, but 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 asking questions that are critical mm. to the topic that we are talking about, mm. and 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 yes, and and I think like to your point about culture, I, I think culture is not um, culture and education are, are not mutually exclusive. Mm. Culture sips its way very clearly into our classrooms, 
Mm. In, in 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 our education context the difference is when you when, when you're in the classrooms there's a there's the other um sort of layers of power structures at play that 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 make that make that um separation of of teacher and student even so much further like when i'm listening to my grandma telling us stories like when we're in the village like seated outside there's a campfire you're all eating roasting maize like the atmosphere is set for me to trust that I'm going to listen to her because first of all, there's so much love here. I know like the mm. tone she uses, everything, it, it, it's a comfortable experience. Mm. I'm, I have no problem listening to her all night. Mm. When you're in the classroom and the same, the same power structure is at play, mm. it's hard because already there are so many other things environmentally in the classroom that like make it very clear that, you know, you, you, know, you, you should only listen and take notes. I don't yeah. know if that's making sense, Jude. When you actually made mention of the idea of like culture, like how culture like comes into, I think it's it's a it's it's huge mm-hmm. because it's I can actually like give an experience of like uh, that cultural shift in when I got to the US, where it's like so back back at home in Ghana, it's there's this thing where you show respect by when you're speaking to an elderly person, you have to like put your hands behind you or like even prostrate to show like respect, mm-hmm. and we have something like you're not supposed to give um, anyone anything with your left hand because it's disrespectful. So for a very long time, like I was doing that a lot because it became ingrained in me. It's like, that's how I was brought up. So it's like, even if I had something laying next to me and I wanted to give it to you and, and you were basically closer to my left hand, I would put it in my right and give it to you by my right. I would never like give it the left. And there was one time that I had like a colleague like question me when I was in the US, living in Chicago. They basically were like, like dude, why, why, why did you do that? That <laughs> seemed very ridiculous. Like, why do you put it in your left and put it in your right? Why don't you just give it to me straight away? And at that moment, like, I froze because I had never actually, like, analyzed or thought about it in that sense because it was, again, it was training from death. Like, that's basically how I've been trained to live. But mm-hmm. it's, like, it's, it's, it's respectful to do that. So then again, I think when we go thinking about that also in the form of, like, education, I think it really comes up that way where it's, like, even when you want to ask a question in class, that dynamic of power play, it's really, really, it's, like, even if your professor says something, you cannot even challenge them, even ask them why. There's never, never, that, that thing never happens within the classroom where it's like, and I feel like for a very long time, like, again, as I reflect and look back, it it makes a lot of sense why sometimes it may come across as if some students are not smart or some students are not like very, are not engaging also in classrooms because then again, it's like most of the ideas that they have, they never get to express them because they know for a fact that they are like educator, like professor, whatever it is, will shut it down. Hmm. So for me, for a very long time, I was, I was, I think when I was, when I was uh, in uni, I was, I wasn't the one too much, like really be like engaged in class as far as like contributing and like talking. Hmm. Cause I, I always used to challenge everything that was being said, but I was like, well, I definitely cannot say anything about it. Cause then if I did, I'll be seen as a disrespectful, like boy or person in class. And I it think might it might reflect on your grades, you know? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's, the truth of the matter is that it does actually happen. Like there've been times where like, <laughs> oh gosh, like you actually bring something that's actually very like, it makes me reflect a lot where at one point in time, I actually lost a grade because of something like that, where I, I was not, I, I did not agree with something being like presented at the time. And I was like, well, I think it makes more sense if it's X, Y, Z. And Ooh. the professor took offense to it because he thought I was challenging him in a class. But yes. I was saying that I was not challenging you. Like you definitely know way more than I do. I don't. Mm. But mm. all of this is that I'm asking, I'm pointing you to the fact that, well, it doesn't always have to be A, it could be B also. So let's think about ways in which we can also put both onto the, the table also, you know, because mm. it's, 
And I think that's where culture and this whole mm. deconstructing like uh, colonialism also and even the effects of colonialism on like post-colonial states really like comes to play. Mm. Because for a very long time, I mean, when you think about when you look back at like um, African history pre, pre-colonial rule, it was a sense of like community. You know, there's this saying that, uh, the saying, which is very popular saying that, um, I feel like a lot of people haven't been able to like pinpoint where it's coming from, but it says that uh, it takes a village to raise like a child. Mm-hmm. I think that's really, really the way in the sense that it's like the idea of like contributing, like everybody like has a role to play to do something. That happens a lot outside the classroom, like even like playing like you also said when you're like having a conversation with a grandma. It basically happens there. Outside the context of the classroom, that very Western structure, it's easy. You can easily talk to your parents. You can even ask uh, like your uncle, your aunties about stuff. It happens so easily. But then once you bring that conversation to context of Western culture and also like a classroom, which again, it's like a Western educational system, that all, everything about that goes away. It's like, no, I'm the master. I say things. You listen to that. You take it as it is. And in, in, in Ghana, we have this saying called uh, chew and paw, which is basically you just memorizing uh, notes or lectures that have been given. And then you just go on the exam and just like pour that out. And that's so then you forget that. But then over the years, you tend to realize that students that are part of the process of uh, are part of the learning process do way better and re- retain information better than those that just go and just like take it up read it memorize it, and just bring it out later right so again i think it's really interesting thing about that also in that sense where for the most of our like my education like um in ghana it was more about thinking about that dynamic between like a master and apprentice right but then once i graduated and started working i, de- I then got experience the idea of like working with a team Mm-hmm. And that was definitely different because then again, at that point, it's like it sort of goes back to the idea about African culture outside the classroom where it's like we all do something together. We all have a role to play in, the, in this uh, setup. But then it's like, so for me, most of the time in school, and again, there's something I also want to bring up also is this idea about competition that mm-hmm. I feel like I'm talking about a lot, like with all my friends also, where it's like, like I will have conversations with like my like my uncle, my mom, or something, and like we talk about how things are like outside the context of the classroom, where it's more about like we help each other build a community, like we rely on mm-hmm. each other. But then once it's brought into that system of like education, it's more about we are competing against each other. But and that is also so wrong because we we all are very different people and we are unique in our own ways. You don't you do, you don't expect to measure our intelligence or our worth by testing us every, maybe at the end of every semester, every year, I think that's mm. totally wrong. Where I think for that, for a very long time, it was more about, well, I want to be the first. It's more like a single yeah. point of view. And that, mm-hmm. that idea became very clear to me when I moved from Ghana to the US where it's, I feel it's, it's, it's even like a sad story almost where I think the first day I came and somebody said I had, I had the news or the, the, the news was on, on, tele, on telly, there was like, um, a case of an actual, actually an African man who had died in his apartment for about two weeks and like no one knew about it. It was only at a point where it's, and I think there's even like, even like somewhere, somewhere it's been like a crazy story, but the, the, his neighbors only found out because they said they could actually now smell a bad stench. But then also he, this neighbor's narration of the, the case of events says that, oh, but he didn't think much of it because he started smelling about a week, but he was like, it's nothing because Africans are known for cooking foods that have a very like strong smell. So he thought it was, wow. it was just cooking. And I was like, wow, like that is not possible. Like if I was back at home in Ghana, again, going back to no. like a child was raised by like a village. There is no way where like 
the lady who lives maybe two blocks from where I live has not seen me for a day and would not come looking. Yes. Right? They'll mm. definitely, either they'll come themselves to come and look or they'll ask my parents, wait, where's Jude? I haven't seen Jude in like in a couple of days now. Is he okay? But mm. when I got here, there's this, this like Western culture where it's more about like individuality, where it's like, mm. it's just me. It's just me. I want my independence. But then again, it's like, I started thinking about the idea of like independence. Like how does that also relate to the idea of like community? Being independent does not mean that you don't need community. I, I was thinking about that a lot where it's like, how do you like put those two together also in that sense? You know, because it's, again, the idea of like education, getting to the work, work, workforce and work, workplace. It's like, you get to notice a lot that once you're in the workplace, you need a team to make it work. You cannot mm. do these things on your own. But then again, in school, that's not how it's set up. It's set up that, well, this person was the first in class. I need to award them for that. But then once I leave, it's like, uh, no, it's, it's not just you now. It's like, we need to like work together. So I think there's a huge disconnection also like happening there where it's like the idea of like education, really finding ways, sorry, finding ways in which we can stick to our cultural values because I, I believe our cultural values are really, really strong because for me, like having a chance to like live in Ghana, also live now in the US, when I compare the chance of growing up in Ghana, I really appreciate that I had a chance to do that. Because there's certain things that I learned back at home as far as like cultural values that I feel like I wouldn't I wouldn't have been able to get that here. That I'm like, well, we should really start to encourage that a lot back home. Because mm-hmm. like once we grow up, we're like those things don't like really have an effect on us now. But yeah, I definitely agree with like everything you like you both were saying about wow. also because it's there's a lot of stuff about culture, trying to mm-hmm. live towards like a Western standard of living, education. Mm-hmm. Like I always wonder about like how did we used to educate kids back then before like before colonialism started? Like what was education like a mark off? You know, I think it was mm-hmm. really interesting to think about that also in that in that sense. Yeah. You know, Jude, I as as I was listening to you there, I, I, I was struck by how in some ways you were starting to paint what could be a potential picture for what education might look like uh, if it was truly centering our cultures. Because I think we can all agree that whereas it's very clear we see our culture um, influence and adapt to or respond to certain aspects of our um, more Eurocentric education that, you know, was sort of passed down to us via colonialism. Um, We haven't yet had an education system where, you know, we've seen our culture really lead the way. And, um, and, 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 and I think some of the, the points you were talking about, you know, connection, just even things like togetherness and um, that, that idea of collective success and collective learning and, you know, versus like a lot of individualism and topics like that. So, so, so to me, that, that, that I think was really well said. Well, thank you, Jude, for sharing your story with us. This is part one of our conversation with you. In our next episode, we will hear about your work, uh, your design philosophy, and um, some of the projects that you are um, working on. We're looking forward to that. And also, thanks to our listeners for tuning in. We really, really appreciate you. Bye-bye for now. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, please join us for more conversations and interviews with African educators, creatives, architects, urban planners and designers as they share their knowledge and experiences about practicing in Africa and the diaspora.
Remember to subscribe, leave a review, or share this podcast with other people that might be interested in this content. Thank you for joining us today.